Turn with me to John chapter 11 this morning. John chapter 11, very, very familiar text. It's a new year. We don't sound very excited about that. That's understandable in some ways. We're going to try to talk a little bit about that this morning. You know, a lot of people make resolutions and having a new year set before us, we uh, oftentimes feel empowered to say, you know, it's, it's a new year, it's a new start, there's uh, hope. And so we begin to look and we begin to plan and say, this year is going to be better. Well... Let me ask you something. If someone told you this morning, and and there was every reason to believe that it was possible, they told you your greatest dreams could all come true. I'm talking about weight loss, out of debt, your dream job, that vehicle you've wanted, getting that swimming pool, No more high blood pressure. Throw your glasses away. No more arthritis or diabetes. Would you simply look at them and say, nah, I'm good. You see, in the spiritual walk, with a God who can, and a God oftentimes who will, we simply look the creator of the universe, the one who fearfully and wonderfully made us, the one who has laid out our life for us. And we may say with our words through song, I surrender all. We may say, oh, Holy Spirit, move in my life. Oh, God, to you be all glory and majesty. But in our lives, we're telling him, nah, I'm good. I'm good. When God says, I want you to share your faith with someone, no, I'm good. I want you to break away from the things that are weighting you down. Nah, God, I'm good. John chapter 11. We see the very famous story of Jesus calling Lazarus back to life. He says in verse 32, then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet saying unto him, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother had not died. Now, I don't know about you, but there's times where I look God God in the face, shook my fist and said, God, if you would have done this. Now, he does not scold her. Do you see this? He still loved her. God did not get mad at her because she did not fully grasp the depth of who he was. But he was fixing to show her. He explained to her with words and then he showed her with actions. Listen, it is not wrong to look at God and say, God, I don't get it. 
God, I'm upset. God, I'm overwhelmed with grief. God, I'm overwhelmed with all the busyness of life. Lord, just walking through life, on the job, on the news, in the school, everywhere I go, it just seems like the world is collapsing around us. God, if you was here, you would do something. I want you to walk away from here today knowing God already has done something. And God is doing something and God will do something in our lives. And so, he groaned in his spirit and was troubled. Verse 34, he said, where have you laid him? And they said unto him, Lord, come and see. And the shortest, no doubt most poignant Powerful scripture of the Lord's heart says, Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, behold how he loved him. And some of them said, could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? So they believed in part, right? They believed, oh, well, if he had been here. But they didn't believe in a transient or a power that could stretch even over geography and over time. And then over the most powerful thing the world knows because of our sin and that is death. And so he says in verse 38, Jesus therefore again groaning in himself, come, cometh to the grave. It was a cave and a stone lay upon it. Now hear what Jesus said. Take away the stone. That's where our prayers need to start today. Lord, take away the stone. The stones in front of our eyes, the stones over our heart, the stone over our witness. There are things that are separating us from the world that God wants us To live in and to share in and to be fruitful and blessed and find liberty and the abundant life. Yet we allow the stone of this world to block us in some dark, dank cave of our life. Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, said unto him, Lord, by this time he stinks. For he's been dead four days. Jesus said unto her, Said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that thou hearest me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it. That they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. He that was dead came forth. I don't know about you, but sometimes in my life, I allow myself to be encapsulated by the death that is sin. 
Today I pray that you hear my heart for 2018, for today and for every day of our life until we are translated into the very presence of God. Believers, you have and will be set free. Set free. Get this now. Listen, when I read this this way, I've read this, I've preached this text at so many funerals. But listen to me. It grabbed me. He said, loose him and let him go. You see, what we don't realize, when he said Lazarus come forth before he ever breached the exit or entrance, if you will, of that cave, there was life in the tomb. Jesus had already spoken life into Lazarus. He didn't have to come out and go to the synagogue. He didn't have to come out and show everybody. When Jesus spoke, he was alive. You don't have to convince anybody of your life that is in Christ. But you have to know it is Jesus and Jesus alone who can speak life into you. Set free. And you'll be set free from the bondage of sin. You'll be set free from the doubts of this life. It comes only in him. Lazarus was alive, but he was bound. Life on the inside, but death rags on the outside. When Jesus spoke, as I've said, there was death before, but now life even in the tomb. Believers have been born again, made alive. He says in Ephesians 2, 1, you, look at me. If you're saved, look at me. This is God, not me, but I'm just, I'm just relaying what God through the apostle Paul and now through your pastor is telling you as a believer. You hath he made alive who was, past tense, dead in trespasses and sins. But the problem the problem is we're walking around, you know, when we do the little youth games and stuff, and we'll wrap up and do the mummy thing and wrap them in toilet paper and stuff. I remember the old cartoon with Scooby-Doo where, you know, they, they would, you know, old Mr. McAllister or whatever he was, and he would have got away with it if it wasn't for those pesky kids. He was dressed up. Like a mummy, he was wrapped up. And he was, you know, and he was bound up. He was wrapped up. We've all seen the things of the, uh, of the mummies of Egypt and others where they're bound up, strapped up, wrapped together, closed off. It says he was bound both hand and foot and even about his head. We've been set free spiritually. But oftentimes, listen to me, we are bound physically. Here's where believers have a, a problem. We, we can't wrap our head around the dualism of man, flesh, and spirit. And that's why a lot of people believe, well, if you're saved, then you'll never sin again. There's even... Christian denominations that promote this idea. And it's hard to wrap our head around the whole idea of uh, being new but dying. 
Galatians 2.20 is that paradox. It's oxymoronic to say, I am dead, yet I live. But that's exactly what the Apostle Paul said, wasn't it? Yet he explains it. He said, but it's not me who now lives. It's Christ in me. And he goes on in other places that that life that is in me is the hope of glory. It is Christ in me. It is the crucified, buried, resurrected Jesus that has caused me, that was dead in trespasses and sins. He called me my name and called me out of the death that is sin. Now, the bondage of the flesh remains. That's why when it gets really cold like this, last couple weeks, where I had knee surgery, my left knee, oh my goodness. I know I sound old. I, I resemble that remark. I'm good with that. Man, it just reminds me of that knee surgery 15, 20 years ago. And we have colds and we have flus and we have all these things. But that physical body, the Bible says, is dying. But our spirit is being renewed day by day. Now, listen to me. He said in verse 44, and he that was dead came forth. Why? Because Jesus said so. No other reason. He didn't will himself out of the grave. His sisters couldn't get him out of the grave. There was all the Jews and all the priests and all the neighbors and all of the death party could do nothing about the situation. It was not until Jesus did it. You want to know what's going to change America? You want to know what will change Eastside? You want to know what will change your family and change your life? When Jesus speaks to you. But our heart must be, I surrender all. Our life, our minds, our bodies must come to a point where, like Paul said, I die daily. That we cry, Holy Spirit, move in my life. Move in my mouth. Move in my hands. Move in my feet. So that I do not remain bound physically. We have been set free. Made alive. But often we remain bound physically. He said, And he that was dead came forth bound hand and foot with grave clothes. Now, when we speak of being bound physically, it's not just the obvious carnality of the flesh. You know, sex, drugs, rock and roll, that kind of stuff. It's not the real obvious, you know, getting drunk and shooting up heroin and pornography. It all that is, but it's not just those obvious sins, you know, the glamorous, the ones that we see on TV, the ones that they really show. It is the casual sin. It's the casual sin, church. It's the kind of sin that we rationalize. What does that mean? It's the kind of sin that when we commit it, we rationalize by evaluating our life against others. And so we rationalize. Listen, young people. You'll say, hey, yeah, it's probably sin, but compared to them, I'm okay. I'm not doing drugs. 
I'm not looking at pornography. And so my casual sin, God will wink at. No. God's a holy God. Listen, men especially. Some of you saw where I posted on social media the other day an article they did about profanity. It's not just me anymore. Let me just go on and clarify that. I've seen, heard some of the most horrendous stuff come out of a woman's mouth. As the Bible says, if you're a believer, those things ought not be so. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You can't curse God, number one, period. But you can't try to curse God or cause God to curse someone else and have the love of Christ in your life. You can't. You cannot do it. You cannot do it. You see, we've bought into this casual sin. We rationalize. Well, everybody talks like that now. Yet at what point of the judgment seat of Christ does he says, you know what, I'm going to give you a pass on all that because a lot of other people did it too. The U.S. Army wouldn't give you a pass on it. If you said, oh, all the other soldiers were going AWOL, so I did too. Veterans, would they give you a pass too? No. I can assure you a holy God's not going to give us a pass on casual sin. If we want to see, uh, listen, time is of the essence here. We can't just keep hoping against hope and doing the same thing and expect something different. We've got to realize if revival is going to come, it's not going to start with some big church. It's not going to start with the pastor. It's not going to start in some other, ge- uh, some other geological or geographical location. It's going to start with me. That I've got to get rid of the casual sin. And it's not because one day I get up and make a resolution and say, I'm going to be better. No, it's going to be because I acknowledge I'm not good. And I lay it at the feet of Jesus. The casual sin of rationalization. Man, we justify why we don't come to church, why we don't study the Bible. We ju- Listen, these are not, like I said, the, the most obvious, you know, serial killer kind of sins. But they're deadly. They're deadly. We talk about, well, I'm not hurting anybody else. Somebody's watching you. Somebody's watching. I'm reminded of that all the time. When I hear a kid quote me. And say, well, the pastor said this, and the pastor said that. My children who now correct me from things that I taught them when they were younger. Parent, you ever had your child correct you? It's humbling. Because you want to bow up and say, I'm the parent. And then you realize, I'm still wrong. Being a parent don't make me right. Casual sin. Casual sin. Listen, when you start dabbling in casual sin, it'll grow. You know what my daddy always said? Satan wants all of you, but he's not going to come after all of you at the very beginning. He's going to eat you like you eat an elephant. 
You know how you do that, right? One bite at a time. One bite at a time. As I've told you before, people don't get up one morning and say, you know what? I think I want to, I think I want to OD on heroin today. I think I want to be a meth head. You know what? I've had a very successful marriage for eight years. I think I want to go have an affair and leave my spouse today. They don't do that. It comes with a wink, wink, nod, nod. It comes with a little social this, a little social that, a little nobody's looking. Casual, casual sins where a group gets together and so we feel empowered because we're not the only one doing it. I'm going to tell you something. You can be in the biggest crowd, but you realize God knows you by name. We like the good side of that, that God knows us by name. Well, you've got to accept that when you don't want God watching. God still knows you by name. We must allow the Lord. Listen, Lazarus was alive on the inside, but he was still shuffling. Still shuffling. Why? Because he was still bound up on the outside. Some of us have been set free. No doubt. You're born again by the blood of Jesus Christ. Going to glory. But you're shuffling through life. You're bound up and not free. I'm going to tell you. Every time I ride by that Reedsville prison. It sends cold chills. Because I worked in a minimum security prison for a while. And I can still even in that. Guys that had six months. 18 months. I mean, the longest stay there was 36 months. You know, and those guys, they could do it standing on their head. It wasn't no big deal. But you ride by that prison, no, there's people there since I was a kid that will never see the outside of that prison. They're done. And all they do is they get up, they go eat, they go to their they're back to their cell. They go out for their little exercise maybe. They sit in a group. They go lunch. Or if they have lunch, usually it's two hots and a cot. And then they go back for supper at night. They may sit around and watch some more TV. Read, go to bed when the lights go out. Get up and do it all over again. Year after year, decade after decade. And let me tell you something. If you're not living the life that Christ has for you, there is no difference. You're just shuffling through life. You're going to eat when people say go eat. You're laying down when people say lay down. You're watching what people say watch. You're listening to what people say listen. You're doing what the world is dictating to you. And it has become encapsulating to your life. And you have stopped living the life that is free in Christ. Is this not what we need to hear today on the first Sunday of the year? The first moment right now, the rest of our life, I tell you, I need to hear this. It is time that we break free. Not because it's our power, but because God has called us out from the casual sin. Not just rationalizing, but justifying. Oh, I'm, you know, don't say anything to me. I do whatever I want. Biggest mama used to say, I'm free, white, and 21. So when we say, Jean, now, she'd bow up, you know. I was talking to somebody the other day about taking care of their health. Boy, they just, it's like, hey, I'm just trying to look out for you. They didn't want to hear it. 
Leave me alone. I'm going to be all right. We justify. I'm, I'm grown. I'm, I'm big boy. I'm big girl. I, I'm smart. I'm 14. I know everything. Enjoy it because you're going to get dumber the older you get. Enjoy knowing everything while you're a teenager, right? I'm dumber than I've ever been. And now I got the forgetfulness that goes along with it. So sometimes I forget I don't know everything. The truth is I try to justify, oh, but I'm this and I'm that and I come from this and I've been saved this long and I'm a pastor and I'm a this and I'm... Listen, it, it does you no good before the only one that can justify anything. We're bound physically. Now just insert whatever you want to. We look at others, we look at situations, we, we just rationalize and justify away the casual sin. But then sins of comfort, glamorous sins. There's some sin, but we'll brag. There's nothing worse than to sit around when you get a group of friends that run together 20 years ago and we get together to sin together because that's what we did when we was that age. And then we brag about it. And then we brag in front of our kids about the sin we committed. It is the sins of comfort. It's still sin. Whether you did it 20 years ago or yesterday. Sin is sin. And we ought not be proud of it. Sins that make us comfortable. I like to be comfortable. Don't you? I like to be comfortable. I like that big old heavy jacket today. Man, that big old heavy coat. I put that big old thing on. It's just like a fire around me, you know. I want to be comfortable. People said, you enjoy, enjoy the Christmas holiday stuff? Yeah, I didn't do anything. You been hunting? Nope. Too cold. I'm old. If I can't have fun and enjoy it and feel comfortable, I ain't doing it. I'm not going to fish when it's cold. I'm not going to hunt when it's cold. I may play golf if it's around 50. But it gets colder than that. I'm going to find a chair and a TV and a coffee maker. Because you know what? I've gotten old enough. I don't have to prove I'm tough. I'm not tough. I want to be comfortable. But the problem with that is in our spiritual life, sometimes we want to be comfortable physically. And so we don't do the things that God calls us out of our comfort zone to do. You say, I don't want to teach Sunday school. I'm not good in front of people. Moses wasn't either. And God called him to lead the whole nation, the whole Hebrew people. Don't, please, please do yourself a favor. Don't look at God and say, I can't. Well, you're right as long as you finish that, but you can. But don't tell God he can't do something in your life. Has anybody ever been surprised by what God did in your life? Then say amen. Then say to the world, God revolutionized my life. I'm able to play. I'm able to sing. I'm a, not because I'm any good, but because of God in me, I can share my faith with you. It's not by works of righteousness, which I have done. Church, be emboldened. Embrace the fact you're new. You're set free. Think about it. Lazarus went however long it was until he went back to the grave and went to the Lord. 
They tried to hunt him down. You realize that, right? You read about it where they tried to kill him and Jesus together. Lazarus just laughed. What if we went through that life? Because listen, let me ask you. Let me, I'm going to do a quick Barna poll right here. For all of you who are born again by the blood of Jesus Christ, do you believe when you die you're going to be in the presence of Jesus? Then why do we act like death is the worst thing that could ever happen? There's an old song that said, death ain't no big deal. You see, we are embracing the sin of comfort. You ask somebody, say, how you doing? Say, well, compared to what it could be, I'm doing all right under the circumstances. Well, I could be dead. Well, you know what? Hear me. Look at me. I can't be dead. I've done told you and I'm going to tell you again. If you outlive me in this life and you stand before my dead cold carcass, don't you dare let Satan sell you a false bill of goods that says, oh, he's dead. I'm not dead. God saved me, made me alive, August 9th, 1972. And though I haven't always acted alive, I've always been alive because of who is alive in me. Hallelujah, praise be his name. It's because of Jesus. Jesus set me free, but my problem is not with Jesus. My problem's with me. I bind myself up with sins of comfort, glamorous sins. Hollywood says, oh, look, don't dare tell us this is wrong. This is feel good. This is look good. This is be good. It's self-gratifying sins. Oh, we make ourselves feel good by stepping on others and increasing our wealth and our prosperity. Self-serving comfort sin where we don't worry about anybody else. Oh, we just want Eastside to be it. We don't want it to have people that don't look like us, sound like us, smell like us, eat like us, look like us. We want to keep it, we keep it in our little group, our little 144 and no more. Well, I'm going to tell you something. Jesus didn't die for that. Jesus came to the world because God so loved the world. And you tell any backwards thinking, empty-minded person in this world that God sent us to love the world. And they ought to be glad because as sorry and useless as they are, God still loves them. Right? Right? I got, a lot of, I got a lot of energy on this. Church, it is time for us to wake up and stop being satisfied with the status quo. It is wonderful, praise God, if we go over $20,000 in giving to missions. But God didn't call you to support just other missionaries. He called you to be a missionary. He called you to evangelize where you're at. Called you. I don't care if you're a millennial, ex-gen, back-gen. I don't care, slow-gen. I don't care what you are. Whatever generation you come from, God's called you. It's time to act like it. Church, it's time to raise up from the dead that he has made us alive and be set free. Kind of like Forrest Gump when the braces come off. Amen. 
And you just ran. Yes, we need to be running door to door. We need to be riding like Paul Revere, screaming, Jesus loves you. Now, I don't know if Paul Revere said that, but he basically was inferring it, I think. We're bound mentally. He said in verse 44, he that was dead, past tense, came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. This was the standard burial procedure. But to spiritualize the situation, not only was he bound physically, but bound mentally. I don't know about you. I'm secure in the fact that at my age now, there's certain things I can't do physically. I've told you the story about long tossing with Ethan a couple of years ago, and I realized I'm not the baseball player I used to. I, I mean, I'm, I'm one hopping it with everything I've got, and he's still just lobbing them to me in the air. And I'm not 17. I'm not 37. I, I realize they, there's limitations. There's certain things I cannot do. That's why y'all think I'm joking. Before, the night before and that morning and for 3.1 miles, I pray, God, please don't let me have a heart attack. When we went through the jingle for Jesus. Because I understand my physical limitations. But if there's a place I struggle, is in the mind. And it's a scary place up here. You see, I become bound mentally by my past. Do you ever let Satan drag you back into the past? And the negativity of, look what I did. Look what I was. How can God do anything? How are you going to tell anybody when you did this? Have you ever heard someone argue this point? Well, how can they stand and preach? They don't even have kids. The first church that wanted to consider me as pastor, I was not married yet. I was, we were dating. And they said, well, we can't consider you. You're not married. And I said, okay. I, I, I understand that's your preference, but tell me why you can't biblically. Well, you know, the Bible says to be the husband of one wife. I said, do you understand how out of context you just took that? <laughs> then they really didn't want me as a pastor. But you know... The things that are in our past that cause us to doubt our ability. People will say this. How can he get up and speak to people about divorce? He's never been divorced. How can they get up and talk about how to raise children? They've never had children. Listen, if it's about the word of God and they're giving you the word of God. Apostle Paul, I believe, never got married, never had kids. And yet he's the one that tells us how to love our wives, how to raise our kids, and how kids are to honor their parents. Am I right? It's about Scripture. It's not about you because it is, it's not Paul. It's the Word. It's the Word of God. Okay? Base it on the Word of God. Now, what Brother Matt said, you take what Brother Matt said and you look at the Scripture. Look at the Scripture. Because, listen, Brother Matt becomes bound by the negativity of his past sometimes. 
I, I'm like a big fat hog. I like to waller in it. I just proper in it, wallow. But I come from the country, so I waller. And I lay there at night and just wallow. Oh, 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 oh man, it's just so bad. All this time's gone and it's passed. And, you know, it'd be real easy. It'd be real easy to say at this junction in life. Oh, I didn't do this. I didn't do that. And listen, I've got plenty of regrets. There's a lot of things I wish I could. Would have done different. But you know what? I can't do anything about it now. And so why wallow in it? But it's a trap that many of us step in. I wasn't there when they died. I didn't hear the... Listen, you live with them a whole life. Don't focus on a last three days, 15 minutes, or a last word. Focus on the life. Don't remember a dead body. Remember a life. And focus on the life that is Christ. And if they died in Christ, then praise God. Understand, the clock will not stop ticking. We're going to see them again. Stop with the negativity. Stop with the whole idea of the past controlling your future. Bound mentally. By the past. By the fear of the future. It's the... Not just negativity, but the hostility. I've heard people say, and I, I've, can I be honest, I've said it. Man, I hate my kids are having to grow up and Lord's willing, if he hadn't come back, raise children in the society we're living in today. Now, it was bad in my day, but I promise it seems worse. Might it seem worse today than it did when you was growing up? Mary, does it seem worse than it was when you was growing up? Edward, does it seem worse today than it was when you was growing up 78 years ago? I'm just kidding. It is waxing worse. The Bible tells us it's going to get worse. But you know what? God's bigger. God's stronger. God was with Noah, wasn't he? Huh? God was with Moses, wasn't he? They went through some pretty hard times. Church, we have got to get past this fear of the future. Oh, but what if this happens? And what if this happens? And Trump and, and, and Rocket Man and all the other stuff with Iran and all China. I'm going to tell you something. God's bigger than China. God's bigger than Rocket Man. God's bigger than Trump. God's bigger than Nancy Pelosi. And a lot prettier. Fear of the future will destroy us. Church, we cannot live as a church financially, spiritually, in a immobility because we're afraid of what may happen. You just got to do it. You know what? What Elisha did when he was called out. It, listen, nobody wanted to be a prophet. They didn't line up for this thing. It was a God's call in their life. And when Elijah said, Elisha, you're the man. You know how he showed the world that he meant business? He was plowing when Elijah came to him. But what he did was he took the plow. He broke it up. Built a fire, took the oxen he was plowing with and sacrificed them and made 
a dinner for his family and friends to say, that part of my life is over. I'm going with God. What is it in your life needs to be laid on the altar of sacrifice today? Of surrender. Of saying, Lord, I surrender some. No. Lord, I surrender most. No. Lord, I surrender all. I break up my plow. I break up my my job. I, I offer up to you my possessions. Lord, everything. For fear of the future, I give it to you. Tyranny of the urgent. I'm not going to try to dabble here, but look, the truth is we plan everything else around the things we want to do in this life instead of around God. And we don't want God to cause us to have to reschedule. But sometimes there's a road to Damascus meeting we need to attend. There's sometimes in our life a meeting on the ship in the midst of the storm where we need to stop everything and we just need to go with God. Sometimes we just need to cut loose the anchors and let God drive us in our life and stop trying to plan everything without God. Look, the tyranny of the urgency of our lives. We say, well, I got to do this. I got to, we got to put out fires. It's our capability or the lack thereof that drives us. Oh, I've got so much to do. I don't have time for choir. I don't have time for Sunday school. I'm going to tell you something. It's time that you make time for God. And you say, well, that doesn't mean choir. and That doesn't mean Bible study. Yes, it does. Because if God has that call on your life, then you are disobeying God. There's not a level one disobedience and a level two and a level three. No, disobedience is disobedience. And if God has gifted you to teach, God has gifted you to lead, God has gifted you to uh, to head up women's ministry, men's ministry, to volunteer, to serve, to be what God wants you to be. Because listen, we're not volunteers, as we learned from Dr. Rickardson. We are followers of Christ. And if it's all about what we get paid, then we got no business doing it. It's tyranny of the urgence. Or urgent. Our capability. Oh, I, I, I'm, I, I've got all this and I'm important. And I've got all these things. People just want, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you like my doctor told me. First time my blood pressure spiked at about 100, 176 over 110. And I thought every bit of blood had left my head. My Head was pounding, my chest had tightened up, and, and the stress of life and, and, and the the demands of all the things that I had piled on. I went to the doctor. My, they wouldn't let me drive home from work. They they made me go, and I went to the doctor. He took it again. It had been several hours. He said, "What was it the first time?" And I told him. He said, "Well, it ain't any better." He said, "Let me ask you something." After they'd done blood work and stuff, he said, "Let me ask you something." See, I know your past. Your dad had a heart attack at 55. Quadruple bypass. Is that right? I said, that's right. Your grandfather had hardening of the arteries and all that stuff too. I said, that's right. He said, well, you're smart enough to know what happens next, right? I said, yeah, I am. He said, so let me ask you this. What, what, what's going on in your life right now? 
I said, what do you mean? Like, what have I got to do? Not know. He said, what are you doing? I said, well, I work for the state job. He said, okay. So how many hours? And I said, I don't know. You know, 50 to 80, basically, somewhere around there. He said, what else you doing? I said, well, I pastor a church. He said, well, how many hours? I said, 24 a day if they need it. I said, you know, we do what we got to do. He said, anything else? I said, oh, yeah, I just got started. We're building a house. He said, you're building a house. Working for the state, pastor church, and you're building a house. I said, well, when I, on Tuesday nights, I teach at the Bible college. Does that count? I said, did I add we're expecting our first child? He shut it up, shut the door. I'm not joking. I remember it. Shut it all. He said, you're not burning the candles at both ends. He said, you have thrown your box of candles in the fire. Something's got to give. And he said, I'm not talking about weaning down, slimming up. He said, I'm talking about cold turkey. Something's got to stop. Are they going to plant you? I couldn't stop building the house. We're still going to have a baby. And so I left there that day and I called the dean of the Bible college. I said, I can't teach anymore. I said, I'm beyond stressed. I went to Becky about a month later and I said, Becky, I'm going to quit my state job. Now, this was like, she was, bo- she was born in September 14th, 1997. House had just kind of gotten finished up. I said, I can't take his state job anymore. She said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to work for myself. I drew up. She said, God will take care of us. Floored me. Floored me. State job, state truck, all that kind of stuff. She said, I'd rather have you than whatever little bit of money they're going to give us in life insurance. And so I quit my job. She went back to work on Monday, and I left the state on Wednesday. I'm going to tell you something. The tyranny of the urgent will drive you to an early grave. Do y'all hear me? They're not going to stand around and talk about how hard you work while they spend all your money. Look, enjoy some of it now. Deniability. We'd say nothing's wrong. Everything's right. Everything right as rain. People deny the existence of evil, but I'm going to tell you something. Church, you know Jesus died to set us free because there's evil. Stop with the deniability. And then the futility of everything and everybody's wrong. That's the world we live in today. Everything and everybody is wrong. The way you think's wrong, the way you look's wrong, what you do is wrong. Listen, what's right is right, what's wrong is wrong. I had never changed. It's never changed. Stop buying into this negativity of thinking everything is wrong. Everything's still right in Jesus. Adrian Rogers said, God loves us just the way we are. Hear me. But he loves us too much to leave us that way. 
God's called us to be set free. Not just on the inside, but on the outside. To live for Him. To think like Him. To act like Him. Talk like Him. Church, in 2018, may we be set free to be everything God wants us to be. Come to the instruments, please. I can promise you. Based on the word of God. Hear me now. I can promise you. It will be as if those shackles and braces literally fall off your heart and your head. If God's calling you to an altar of decision. To serve him with gladness. To be set free. I'm going to tell you. You'll never be freer than the moment you surrender to Jesus. Coming to the altar will be the finality of the act. But you coming, you standing up and stepping out, God will start setting you free. If you're lost, you don't even have a clue of anything I said this morning. Because you're still dead in your trespasses and sins. And you will die, listen to me, you will die and go to hell. If you do not confess Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life. That you have no hope without Him. And you lay all your sin. You're still dead in the tomb. Jesus is calling your name this morning. Some of us were out of the tomb. But we don't know where we're going because our head's bound up. Our eyes are bound up. We're not looking at Jesus. Our body's bound up. And we're not serving Him. Will you let Him set you free today? Don't look at me, look at Jesus. He wants to set you free. Listen to his voice. When Lazarus, dead in the grave, heard a voice, it was his name. But it was the Lord's voice. The Lord's calling you by name. Come. Come to Jesus. Stand and come. Stand and come to Jesus this morning. I pray. Oh God, may revival break out in our hearts, in our families, in our lives. Right now, come. Come to Jesus.